Hello and welcome back to OT and Chill, all things occupational therapy with me, Kwaku. Using humour in our practice uh, can sometimes be helpful and sometimes unhelpful depending on the situations that uh, we find ourselves in. I know I try to be funny sometimes, but it's got me into trouble at different points. So but it would be good to understand when and how we can use humour and actually if it's a thing in our therapy. So I'm joined again by Alice, who you might have um, heard in the previous episode talking about involuntary childlessness to talk to us about the use of humour. So hello again, Alice. Brighter, woo! Yeah, something a little bit brighter, yes. <laughs> how are you doing? Excellent, thank um, you. Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks. Thank you so much. Right. So today, yeah, we're not going to, yeah, we're not, we're talking about something a little bit less uh, serious, uh, but still happy very place. important. Happy <laughs> place, but very, very, still, still very important to our, yeah. our practice uh, in occupational therapy. So let's kick it off by just, you know, giving a bit of a definition to humour. What, what, what is humour? Basically, it's where we try to get genuine appreciation of amusing factors in our life. So where we make a, an effort to do things that might create an appreciation of something that's funny or light and get some playfulness into somebody's life or actually use our, our humour as a kind of a social lubricant, a coping mechanism. Um, I've actually got some like an adapted version of CBT, we're using humour prompts. Um, so where people can, you know, you're talking about something really kind of emotive for somebody. And of course, as soon as they start to think about it, they, they bring it to their mind and their mind starts to recreate it and imagine it. So you can quite often get people starting to get anxious just talking about these things. But by using humour, you you actually take the sting out of the, the anxiety response because it counteracts it. Okay. So people can talk about something a little bit more difficult if they've got that kind of humour and that kind of safety in place. No, that's, yeah, okay, 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 that's, that's understandable because if you think again about widely about occupational therapy, we always have to pick modes that we're practising in, right? So mm. you have to have something that you're using to try bring about change or bring something about someone so okay humor now i understand what what is happening <laughs> in the situation i think even in my practice might be a good tool to use actually because we talk we try to get the guys to talk about their emotions and sometimes it can be quite difficult so maybe maybe through this conversation i can learn some new <laughs> tricks to use it's interesting whether it's socialization or whether it is actually differences in kind of gender but a lot of the research shows that men have either been raised to or have a natural tendency to talk about difficult situations with humor so sometimes you have to really kind of alert to talking about their trouble and strife you know joking about that there might actually be a real issue there and they're communicating it in a subtle way so i've had male clients who they've said jokes about things and later on i've revisited it on a one-to-one and actually there has been an issue there and it's something which they're joking about to get their their frustration out but actually they they benefited from having a little bit of a focus there Hmm. so it's quite interesting that it's multi-layered yeah i'm thinking about what you just said about about the boundary between um having banter manly boyish banter with friends but actually you're describing something that's quite serious to you or important to you at the same time but trying to make light of it and it probably falls into that category of why some men might find it difficult to talk about 
their emotions, right? Yeah, because you can they, talk about your vulnerability in a safe yeah, way. In a safe way. Okay, yeah. interesting, interesting. So, uh, going back a little bit, how did you find yourself um, <laughs> talking about humor, talking about um, you know use of humor in practice, and and how has it been? Is it something that you've used for yourself, and is it has it been helpful? It's going to sound a little bit dodgy, but um, I first started using humour when I worked with people who'd had amputees. And back in the day, you know, because sadly I'm quite ancient, um, when you first trained, when somebody had a fresh amputation, particularly a lower limb amputation, you didn't want oedema pooling um, in in the stump. So you used to put a stump sock on and it's this basically tiny stump sock that you have to pull over a freshly amputated limb. And as part of the wash and dressing practice, that was the OT role. So I used to go and see people and I found it very difficult to cope with their pain levels. And obviously they had extreme pain reactions. And what I found was that if I had jokes prepared, if I had silly music, if I had kind of a humor as a distraction technique, essentially, then they responded less. So their pain reaction was less extensive. And that's where it really started. And I realized that it was actually a really motivating tool that clients engaged with me more when I used humor. I used to have a lady who I made a mixtape of her favorite mixtape. It shows the days. (laughs) Mixtape of her favorite songs. And I didn't plan it, but (laughs) used to start playing the bare necessities about the time she got naked. And it used to make us laugh every time. And, you know, it was just like this nice bit of camaraderie between us. But all the other people in the ward would start singing certain songs and they get used to the songs. And, you know, one of the other patients used to call me Madam Butterfly because he liked opera. And I used to bring opera in for him while we did washing dressings. So it's it's kind of, um, it's trying to get a humour connection. It's trying to get a humour trigger. And, you know, humour is a very, hu- uh, you know, human thing. I find that using humour personally to cope in difficult situations is hugely helpful. Uh, you know, I had a, a very difficult working environment previously and we used to use loads of humour coping techniques to just cope with the daily stresses. Um, strains we had, you know, like word bingos. You had to get words into meetings which were, you know, like duck. So before you went in, you'd have to say, you know, I don't want to duck on my responsibilities here, but, and then only another one person in the room would know what you were doing and it would be a kind of, a, you know, a little guffaw. Yeah, no, I've heard this. I've heard this in terms of like how health professionals in, in, within themselves, within their colleagues tend to use a lot of humour to get over some very difficult situations we, we find ourselves in, like you're talking about, you know, dressing a freshly amputated amputation is just it's quite a, a difficult thing for 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 me doing that and for the person experiencing yeah. me doing that so you know get going away from that even not just with the, the patient but going away from that it just, just has to like decompress from that situation yeah. a lot of people do use that and you know in my office we use that as well because we you know hear very distressing uh, accounts and stories of offenses or people's upbringing and you know how do you manage that yourself you can't manage it yourself it's really difficult and no matter what anyone says so you have to find a way of using something um and i, I hadn't thought about it but like you just where you've ex- uh, explained it now the humor there's always humor in the office there's always something yeah. <laughs> someone's trying to yeah. make a joke about something or just make you laugh about something that should that helps to decompress the situation that you've just experienced um so it's very important 
it's really interesting that Viktor Frankl, and, and I, don't, I don't want this to sound trite at all, but uh, Viktor Frankl, he was a psychologist and a neuroscientist, and he went into Auschwitz. And one of the things he talks about is that even in, you know, the most difficult parts of your life, you have a choice how you want to react, and it's your control, and that humour can give, you know, seconds of relief, even in the most difficult, harrowing times and and i think with you know a lot of the research shows that emergency first responders the army and all that you know there'd be quite dark humor where people will talk will joke about things which you know if you weren't in those kind of life-threatening situations or those really traumatic situations you would be aghast at people's humor type mm. but actually what they found is that it rebalances the brain to be able to continue so unless you use some humour, you're left with a trauma response. And, and you know, we talked about co-regulation before. Mm. Humour is a way of very quickly bonding with somebody and getting that kind of co-regulation. So you make the joke, you bond, and then you can continue, mm. whereby you might not be able to in other circumstances. Mm. Yeah, it's very... You people laughing at funerals is the classic. <laughs> you think, Really? But it's it's they they they've only their brain can only cope with that level of emotion for so long, and it's yeah. got to burst. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that it, that makes that makes sense. And I'm thinking about even using humor when you first meet someone new, um, whether we're working with, it can first of all like break the ice, like we talked yeah, that, yeah. that that <laughs> break the ice, but actually it can build that rapport that we always seek the therapeutic relationship yeah. that we always seek um I, I know it's a skill so maybe we can go on a, a bit further on because that it comes with a bit of feeling anxious about saying something that you might get it wrong but that we can you do have to be careful <laughs> yes of course yeah you have to be very careful because it, it can come across as um uh, as rude so in terms of, you've talked briefly about the brain what happens to our brain and or in our body or the somatic feelings and senses when we smile or someone smiles at us or when we laugh what happens to our body it's incredible. It's a whole body response. It's it's huge and it's it's incredible actually that the way that it just I mean psychoneuroimmunology has shown that you know it increases our immune system in at least six different ways. So every time you smile, every time you, you don't even have to smile. You just got to think that you're going to laugh. Like, say you go to see somebody who's really, really funny, usually, and they're depressed that day and they're flat. You'll have already had an increase in your feel-good hormones and your immunity just thinking you were going to laugh with them. So, you know, it's it's really, really powerful. And basically what happens is it, it releases all our fabulous neurotransmitters and our hormones. It impacts on the endocrine system. So, you know, you have your pain-killing endorphin release which makes you excited but also calms you down it stops you feeling pain it releases serotonin our happy chemical um, or happy hormone and a neurotransmitter in our body it also releases dopamine because it's pleasurable so that's really interesting when you work with people who haven't laughed for a very long time you know i had one lady who hadn't laughed for well the, the children wrote me a card and thanked me because it was the first time they'd had laughter back in their house for four years and once you started laughing, that dopamine started telling the brain that's pleasurable and dopamine makes us do things again. Mm. So she wanted it again. And it was really interesting when we did the formal laughter workshops that when we did the maintenance groups, because people were sad at the idea of not having more laughter therapy. So we set them up to set their own ones up. They would plan activities and they would come together and they would just be raucous. 
mm. you know, absolutely raucous. Um, and it was that kind of expectation, anticipation, looked forward to it, dopamine release, oxytocin because you like the people you're with. Um, it's it's quite addictive with 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 the dopamine there as well. Mm. Um, yes, and it, it literally feels good all over. And it's a fantastic workout. It burns shadows calories. I should be a stick insect. <laughs> um, there's a lot of different aspects to it. Like you, you, the way you've described it, actually, when thinking about it, because it's not just being funny with your friends. You know, you know, you know. Sometimes, perhaps, other people might view occupational therapy, or you're just, you know, you're just having a bit of fun. You know, <laughs> we're not, we're not just having a bit of fun because the, the things that you described about the release of different hormones and how yeah. your body's responding to pain how your body is responding to your environment which is very very important in very like high, highly distressed situations and maybe training your brain or tricking yeah. your brain to react differently to new situations right um yeah, absolutely. and uh, even thinking about myself and my work that i do and we talk about some of the, some of these guys have been in distressing situations either when they have been the one that's committed offense or um have been the victim in certain situations how the dopamine hit of doing the same things all the time you know yeah. the, the violence they have been engaged in wanting to do that how can we then do other things in, in to to have the same response that so that they don't feel like they need to use violence or use any other yeah. uh, previous occupations it's it's moving <laughs> you know? out of the limbic system i think that's a bit because the limbic system responds five times faster than our neocortex and the the limbic system is basically it's an entire kind of role is to look for threat and to assess how dangerous the threat is and to kind of if it's not life-threatening then to send it up to the rational brain to think about it and and actually decide on actions. And the nice thing about humor is if you can get humor in there, it literally, you can't have a brain full of cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline, and a brain full of serotonin. And, you know, it has to rebalance. And it's like hitting the switch on a computer, a reset switch. Mm, and, mm. and neuroplasticity, what we know is, that the more you laugh, the more you're able to laugh. You know, we have that anxiety spiral downwards, but we also have one upwards. Okay. And and that's what we found, that we did hospital anxiety depression scales um, with our clients. And the, the, you would be amazed by the drops we had in anxiety and depression scales. Everyone had a drop in anxiety and depression. And some people literally went from clinically significant to no, to zero. And that's in a six-week workshop. Wow. I mean, yes, there are medication as well, you, you know, but actually it was really life changing for people. Mm. And it, it was really fascinating to see how much a difference because it also impacts on everything around you, you know, because actually people want to spend more time with you when you're funny, when you when you're, you're lighter um, people. Because you laugh with other people, it's something like, you know, it's only 15 percent of the laughter is about the joke. It's actually saying I like you particularly if it's perceived as caring humor you know the smile literally says i'm not a threat and and when we when i first saw you i was like oh thank god he's a smiler <laughs> you know, and i said you put me at ease straight away because we've got mirror neurons in our brain we face a smile we smile we face a frown yeah. we frown you know if, if you'd have had an anxious face i'd be thinking my brain would be putting that anxious face on with my mirror neurons and yeah. go why is he anxious i need to be anxious there's a threat whereby I looked at you and you were like, hey, chilled, <laughs> 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 smiling and, and, and really kind of warm. And it was like, 
oh, this is going to be nice. This is going to be fun. This is mm. going to be a good experience straight away. And y- your smile said, you're welcome. I'm no threat to you. And my smile was like, yay, back. <laughs> that is so interesting. You know, that's so interesting because a lot of the times when you, I think it's about self-awareness for starters, yeah. and even developing that you, you've got the uh, you've got the ability to bring people in because yeah. a, a lot of our a lot of the work we do sometimes is not about some of the you know assessments and interventions that we do it, it sometimes it's not and I've, I've come to realize that from my little experience that I have yeah sometimes it, it definitely you know we, if we give someone a, a, a piece of equipment it actually helps them to physically be able to lift something and do something you can see that but a lot of the times as well it's, it's about your relationship and how you bring people in about your smile and about your warmth and um it's, a, it's like you're saying that you saw me and i was smiling i've never i've never thought about me being a smiley person but you can tell the difference that it makes to the people that we work with when you smile and you you're warm initially you, to them you've also got a very particular type of smile you've got a dachon smile which was that <laughs> you tell me more top jaw smile oh. so if you do a closed mouth smile as i'm kind of doing barbara streisand yeah that one it basically isn't as perceived as warm as genuine it's maybe something a little bit to hide um if you watch the royal family when the press come up <laughs> they all put the smile on but it doesn't actually reach their eyes whereby a dachan smile a drop jaw smile is is the one with a little bit of a gap between the teeth you can see the teeth and that's the least threatening most genuine type of smile that you can do and it's interesting not everyone can read that type of smile mm-hmm. and i noticed that women quite a lot will do the smile and the nod when actually they don't want somebody to approach and it's that be polite but no and a lot of times people won't recognize it and men will come up anyway and you're like you are so not getting in there that is a closed mouth smile that's not happening hey. <laughs> so, so i can imagine i uh, sorry i could totally cut you off i can imagine even in like uh, you know this is a, this is a natural thing that we have isn't it it's not mm-hmm. you don't you don't train yourself to smile in the same way like you talk about it's just a natural thing well can you can you train yeah, yourself yeah yeah okay so you can train yourself so i'm thinking yeah. about maybe even um if you're not aware of this smile if you're not aware of the different smiles that you're giving off as a therapist um yourself yeah. but you're not probably getting the responses that you want from um the 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 patients or clients or service users you're working with um yeah. how can you how can you make sure that you're aware of your approach <laughs> it's, it's, it's body language isn't it so it's interesting i say to the students be aware of your resting face and you've heard of the bitch resting face mm, mm. sometimes i look at students and i'm thinking you know you're just looking at me sullen you're not smiling you, you know at, at the end of a class <laughs> or sometimes hopefully they smile <laughs> sometimes don't get me wrong i'm not awful um but um you, you know it's like don't have an unfortunate face you have to think about it and I think about it before I see each client I get my smile ready I'm I'm always looking to appreciate the person so that I'm I find them a joy so I can radiate joy towards them mm-hmm. you know like the students said about unconditional positive regard how do you do that and I was like well you know ultimately people are doing the best they can with the resources they have appreciate the person and give them more resources Mm. so there's always something that you can appreciate about the person you're working with and when you appreciate the person appreciate their story appreciate the humanity appreciate why they're maybe using resources or coping strategies that aren't so good then it helps you 
um, kind of work with who the person can also become and knowing the fact that actually we're not all perfect and yeah. I you know like I've had a client before who was really what you would probably call grumpy oh I loved him he was brilliant he was so much fun and again it was humor that got him because I remember going up to him a couple of times and I'd say things like do you know your wife mentioned that you really like gardening you go all right and I said oh that's interesting to you and he'd say yeah I do actually and uh, I said do you know we've got a gardening group ourselves he'd go oh, where's that then and I'd say where it is and then he'd go oh, and what, what do you do there and you start asking questions and I'd, I'd sell it and I think yes found the right occupation and I said see, see do you want to join our group he'd go oh no <laughs> <laughs> And then I started just taking it to massive degrees. So I go up and I say, I hear your uh, dog walker said that you really like paragliding. And you go, oh, really? I said, yeah, do, do you like paragliding? <laughs> and it just became a, a joke. And in the end, um, I said, oh, do you fancy getting, getting a bacon butty at the cafe? And he, he went with me. And it was that kind of trigger, yeah. you know, investment, knowing that he could say no was really important. And it was just that rapport that built over a period of time. When you think widely about it, I'm thinking about all these buzzwords that we we get trained in occasionally. You know, when you're studying, or you probably use them in yeah. your in your like empowerment. And but actually, these are <laughs> these are real words. You're empowering someone to make a choice. You're empowering someone to know that they you might you know what you're using. You know what you're doing in terms of your. Yeah. You know the person said no. That's fine, but you still want to encourage them to do something. But yeah. that becomes a form of your relationship, <laughs> you know, yeah. building the relationship, using that humor, using, you know, he's going to say, no, he doesn't like paraglide. You, you knew that before you asked that question, <laughs> um, but it turns out you, you know how he's going to respond to it when you ask. It. He likes the fact that I bothered to be creative. I yeah. bothered to go back. And, and, you know, I think it's really arrogant sometimes for therapists to just assume a kind of a segue into somebody's life. And, you, you know, you have to earn it. and there's people that I you know I've I've worked very hard at earning it with and I think that it becomes more rewarding as well as long as it's seen as caring humor you've got to be careful of certain boundaries and you don't need to know timing like it's also really important to understand where people perceive humor as well as in like I've had clients who said uh, you know I couldn't laugh at that stage because I know they discharge you from the hospital like I've heard nursing staff say since oh they're ready to go now they were laughing at your standards last night mm. and it's like yes it's hard to laugh at your standards it is pretty depressing but just because somebody's managed to laugh then doesn't mean they're well enough to get that can't be a discharge criteria no. they laughed at your standards that's it out you go you know so I've had patients say they're afraid to laugh because they're afraid that they won't continue to have support if they if they manage to laugh on that moment yeah. and, and that's a kind of weird thing yeah. you know so oh, we need to validate the person's experience first okay you know? so talking about like you mentioned about the boundaries um i know there's never a perfect time when is it a good time <laughs> when and <laughs> i know you just mentioned when it's no good time but when is it a good time to use humor um i in tell practice? people that i'm going to so I, I invite them to be part of the process. I tell them why I use humour and I give them permission to say not now or, you know, whatever it is. And whenever anyone's talking about anything emotive, then you need to validate them first. So absolutely validate their subjective reality and, and their feelings. And then what I might say is, 
that's that's really heavy to carry you, you know would you would you like to lighten you know the load of that by trying to get some humor trying to look at it from a, a humor perspective or you know I, I gave the example of when the counselor when we talk about the involuntary childlessness said to me um about you know let's positively find a solution to you not being able to have babies and failing adoption and failing IVF and I wanted to joke back in in a really kind of you know defensive way you know oh I sometimes see children and attached I could snatch one and and it's you know that kind of defensive humor as well so it's it's trying to ask yourself what humor is the person using why are they using it what humor do you think that person wants and why would you use it Mm -hmm. and is this the right timing so it's kind of a, a those sorts of things come together and also what I find is once clients have experienced or they know they'll ask me oh for god's sake Alice just give me a laugh do something you you know like I am so ready to have a laugh now you you know and you get that which is really kind of nice it's it's also you know that kind of watching people carefully because you've got to be careful of people pleasers and you know I used to have a guy who he, he would just get a little and it'd be brief moments of a look and I and I just could feel all right there's something slightly different today there's more false laughter there's more you know he's laughing but that's that's it's not quite getting up to his eyes I need to check in with him and he said to me how do you know how do you know (laughs) and I was like I know your laugh Mm -hmm. I, I know you I know your laugh and I know that when you laugh like that it's because actually you want to talk about something else with me as well Okay. Okay. You know, these are the way in. Yeah, as you think, I'm thinking about my practice and how sometimes you could, when you get to know someone, you know what when they, yeah. when their laugh is not, they're not really, they don't really want to talk about what you're bringing up today, or they might make a light joke of it. But it's about reading, being able to read that person. Okay. So, thinking about all that, we, I personally work with a, a lot of young men who experience um, and trauma in their life and I know a lot of people have experienced trauma as well and there's one particular guy that I've worked with who said that he finds it difficult to laugh about anything so we could be watching something that most people would find funny or joke that most people will laugh about but he just struggles to get that kind of laughter out or smile or be happy about what is happening <laughs> in, in this moment do you think that humor therapy or hum, using of humor to get the person to, about when we talked about the brain earlier, is that possible to use in any sort of trauma type of work? It, it's really interesting. Trauma basically really reduces your ability to play. To be able to play, you need to feel safe. Hmm. And because otherwise your, your, your focus is self-preservation, self-protection, um, guarding. And when you laugh, you're saying, I feel safe. I'm enjoying your company. You're not looking at self-preservation. You're looking at lighter things. So it's it's very telling when somebody can't do that, that there's been a lot of trauma. And the first thing is about reciprocity. So that, that co-regulation that we talked yeah. about. So the first thing I would start with was anything which required the person to respond and focus back and forth. So anything where the person has to go from you know, kind of considering their, their safety only to having to look out to somebody else mm. to get that engagement, that relationship. I find that the things where you, you and, and this is the beauty of occupation, isn't it? That occupation creates flow, which creates safety. So things we actually are doing 
that's when you get the most. So, you know, comedy songwriting, when you're sitting next to somebody and you've taken, I mean, this is going to sound, you know, a bit, John Lennon's very famous, I imagine, <laughs> you know, you know, if you're going to take a song and rip it apart and redesign it, you have to go for, you know, a, a world classic. Um, so you might get the, the, the lines for imagine and you might start, you know, imagine there's no Wayne scales. It's easy to do. Imagine there's no cellulite and, you know, thin thighs too, whatever it might be. Um, you start to have that back and forth. And when you have that back and forth, that's when people tend to be able to play. So it's the same thing as, you know, group therapy works well because people laugh more when they're with other people. But also, if somebody's really traumatised, you might have to start with the one-to-one. You know, that kind of, you know, can they play? I, I use James Blunt as well. You, you know, um, You're Beautiful. Yeah there's, yeah, there's a version of it which he does, which is um, on Sesame Street about triangle. <laughs> and it's, it's replaced the word and then there's an Australian comic who basically rips that song as being this dodgy guy who's on a train who's staring at you who basically don't look at my girlfriend <laughs> you know why are you singing you know kind of takes it apart so we play with kind of sometimes James Blunt's work and yeah. and it's it's anywhere where the person has to attend to you to complete the task and you have to attend to them so that back and forth yeah makes okay. people connect feel safe and then you can introduce humor strategies mm. and try and get a trigger what you're looking for is humor triggers what's that person's humor trigger so my friend julie we used to work in dementia care and i don't know why they give people with poor dexterity um so many peas at every meal because they're the hardest thing ever to get in your mouth. To lift up. <laughs> they're, they're a nightmare and it's always peas everywhere. And she always used to laugh and she'd go, look, it is escapee. <laughs> so just do pee jokes. I made her an escape pod. And, you know, all sorts. We used to have, I want to break pee, you know. And, and we just make loads of jokes. And like she liked one of the sketches on Little Britain, which was the one where they used outsized objects. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I stayed late and made her giant objects. So when she came in the next day, I'd go in with this massive pencil and go, can you help me, please? <laughs> and then put a little pencil, so she could take the little pencil off me. And it's it's about creating a sense of, of, this is a very safe space that if you want to talk about your emotions, you can. But also, you're going to enjoy coming here and you're going to want to come here. Yeah, yeah. So that actually, you got a good place to talk about your emotions. That is a, that I would say that's a very good starting point for anyone that you feel or they feel that might be experiencing um, like those, those trauma symptoms or experiences of difficult times in their life. Because it, when the young man said that to me, I was very much like, wow, how, how can I then approach this? Because you know we talk about very difficult things all the time and you can't do that all the time you know it's, it's, it's very difficult for him it's very difficult for me so how do you lighten the the, the mood and how do you, you know, add in something like humor or you know because yeah it just can't not be serious and I struggled I had difficulties trying to do that but I think I think time time on time time was on my side because over time the relationship become became stronger without me even trying to use yeah. humor it, it just i think just time over time we just built our relationship together and then he was able to 
you know, smile and everyone then sees that this guy is smiling who hasn't re- who normally doesn't smile when he comes to the <laughs> when it comes to the department. Um so that was that was really good. But I think you've given a good way it's in a actually that you're doing well with somebody when they've gone from not smiling to smiling. It's a good indicator. Yeah. But also with him, I wonder whether the Cowell River would have been quite useful in a way. To, to track his humour use through his life. Because mm. I've done that with one-to-ones, I've done it with families, I've done it with groups, um, whereby we, we use a river and we'll look at a humour river or we'll look at something might be important to the river. So, you know, what made you laugh as a child? Well, even just reminiscing there, just remembering um, an event where you've had humour uh, or enjoyment or it's savouring and savouring's got a massive evidence base that increases serotonin production. Mm. So, you know, doing a whole river of all the times in your life where you've really laughed, what makes you laugh, and then thinking about actually the rocks and the blogs and, and the plant, how do we get that back? And people are suddenly like, oh, actually, I feel a bit of control there, I might try that. Mm. Oh, I, I love giving people humour diaries as well. Humour diary, what's that? Basically, it's where they create a book of some sort. They, I, I say it should be like, you know the Mark Spencer's advert where they're like, and this is glazed <laughs> from all the way from Gibraltar, honey on pork roasted by fairies in ovens. You know, it's just kind of this over the top. Um, I tell people to find some sort of book that they can write in that they feel good about. So it should be like the first one I had was um, actually made with rose petals. How posh is that? <laughs> and bought in Bath uh, in a very sunny day. And it's where they basically, it starts off as a humour diary. So they start to just record and they, they have to bring the humour back. So it's a homework. Okay. And there's humorous kind of um, penalties, as it were, for, for not doing your homework. So people are like, they come back and they have to bring funny things that they've noticed, observed, or what have you. And people will come back and they'll say things like, oh, this is my cousin's sister's hairdresser's joke. And you're thinking, how far has this gone? <laughs> you know, and, and because they're actively seeking, so our brain is usually actively seeking to protect us and our, our safety, particularly when we've got anxiety and trauma. Now they've got a different mission. So they're having to, try and find something funny try and find something that they're communicating instead of talking about their woes or you know their their kind of distress they're they're talking about you know oh god please for the love of god give me a joke i need a joke because i need it for my homework and then they tell the joke and and it's it's about refocusing people in their lives Mm. and and what they have afterwards because i i do a six-week workshop with with mental health um service users they have two hours once a week for six weeks by the time they finished they have all these in jokes built by the group Mm. they have their own rag mag you know so their own joke book of jokes are personal for them that also have the journey so that when they go to anything stressful they can take it with them they can take it bag the handbag they can read it they can reminisce and they're automatically starting to feel calmer and more kind of yeah and they um, can and hopefully link it back to the group like you were saying about maybe yeah. the good times they experienced in the group or the difficult times they experienced the group wherever the situation is then you can actually say that look, you're yeah. hopefully you're on the other side of that now and you can you've got this type of thing to show for it so i can imagine when you meet other difficult situations you can lighten the the, the load a little bit um yeah. thinking about uh, just it just popped into my head i was thinking about how 
the use of humor in different settings but how you have to ensure that your humor do you you might be trying to use is culturally relevant yeah. <laughs> because that's that's very important as well and and um not, not even culturally relevant but just just relevant in in the situation of yeah. age appropriate humor because <laughs> that's or yeah. or we, we talk about you might talk about gender appropriate humor whatever situation you're in um but making sure that you use that and how because i can imagine people that don't feel like they're funny you know if i don't feel like i'm funny and i don't really want to use that in my practice but i know that the other person is funny and i need to get on their side or, or in their boat with them um how do you how do you how would you go navigate that do you think we always discuss well i mean we, we have group rules um so you know obviously confidential and that but we also talk about what what we all find offensive so you wouldn't tolerate certain subjects in in the humor group it's it's not about causing offense it's about um actively trying to help other people feel good and, and that's the kind of caring humor that's really 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 important but also um we do things like we look at people's humor types and i've had people really distressed um whereby um, they think they're not funny or they think they um, aren't good company and actually when they've come to the humour group what they've realised is they are funny but they're funny in their own way. You know like some people are really anecdotally funny and tell long stories and everyone joins in and smiles and laughs. Other people are dry sharp and what I find is people quite often like a type of humour type they're not. I had one guy who um, basically he was really funny so as uh, he joined the Amdran group to try and make friends at Amateur Dramatics and they, they thought it was so funny like you've got to do stand-up and they sent him up with scripted jokes that weren't his mm. and you heard the phrase die on stage mm. he didn't actually die thankfully but they kept saying oh go on you know it's just first time this go up again go up again go up again and he kept on having the same experience by the time I met him he he would start he knew that previously this had been a great strategy and this had made him funny and people wanted to be with him because he was funny and he'd start to tell a joke and you'd see the anxiety start to come upon him where he wasn't going to be able to follow, follow through on the joke and then people with him were all kind of getting big-eyed and kind of going oh my god please let the joke work please let the joke work uh, it's not going to work it's not going to work and this panic between them would go back and forth and he would just end up fizzling this joke into both people standing there feeling awkward and i just gave him permission to stop don't do that anymore stop this is about you feeling good this isn't about you healing everyone else this isn't about you know you taking the responsibility to be the clown because that's been a coping strategy for you before this is about you just stop and when we did activities, he used to be really funny when the pressure was taken off. Mm. And I kept on reflecting back to him each time. Did you notice you were funny there? Did you notice you were funny when you did that? And he started to, you know, believe in himself again. Mm. And those people became safe people. And those people became people he could tell jokes to actually safely. Mm. And because they knew he was funny. Yeah, so it's, it, it, yeah. It, it's it's really again going back to talking about identity values, meaning all those big big words we use. We talk about in occupational therapy, but yeah, if you using that or him realizing that it's, it's meaningful for me to tell jokes to people that are around me because it makes me feel safe and it makes me feel happy about myself. And yeah. you know, we talked about before at the beginning. You know, when you feel happy, all these hormones get 
releasing your body and in general you then try to repeat it in different settings and then I know we talked about like uh, social skills and things like that before how OTs we try to teach social skills but or we actually teaching <laughs> actually why? yeah and why are we yeah. doing it but yeah have an understanding of why you're doing what you're doing and uh, just to say that you can build relationships you know you can be in different situations without feeling anxious about it because you yeah. know how to start it um again let's talk about break guys yeah ice breakers you know how to yeah. Get in, get in there and get, get settled and be involved in whatever activity or whatever situation or conversation that you're in. So one of the things that I ask you about is laughter therapy. And do you call it, when you do your sessions with people, do you call it laughter therapy or do you call it humour um, therapy? Or I tend to call it humour therapy now. I used to call it laughter therapy or therapeutic use of laughter or those sort of things. But I found that people got confused between laughter therapy and laughter yoga. Mm. and it's it's quite different so what I want for my you know I like laughter yoga don't get me wrong I, I've trained in laughter yoga um so I can do it but the the issue I find is that it's more it's an activity it's an occupation and it can be a very enjoyable occupation but this is about teaching people life skills and understanding how humour works in their life or maybe doesn't work in their life. And how do we get genuine laughter and genuine use of humour to increase somebody's quality of life, which is different. You can't go to a job interview and sit in the waiting room and go, ha he, ha he, and do milkshake laughter because nobody's going to give you the job unless you're going for maybe clown you know yeah, appointment yeah, of course, you know yeah. so this is something which is about people understanding how they're funny where they can be funny uh, an opportunity for them to look at their life and, and say have I got as much laughter as I want who makes me laugh who doesn't make me laugh where's the balance mm. and and also it's really important what I found that sometimes I had a friend who had breast cancer and she went to a laughter workshop and she came back and she said, Alice, I felt so awful. And I was like, well, well, how did you feel so awful? And so did you, did you not enjoy it? She said, I really enjoyed it. She said, but when they explained about how it increases immunity and how it does this and it does cancer cells and everything else, I felt like every time I wasn't laughing, I was going to die sooner and I was taking myself away from my children. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, that's huge. Mm. And I said, well, it's not about you laughing all the time because that's not achievable. Nobody can do that. And actually when you suppress your emotions, then, then that's not good for the body either. It's about actually I'm feeling this way. I'm going to speak to X person. I'm going to get some support. I'm going to connect. And then I'm going to go and find some humor. Mm. You, you know, it's about having a choice about how much you want to laugh and, and, how you use laughing and a bit of an insight into when you are laughing what's telling you yeah so you said you're trained in the laughter yoga what what is the laughter yoga trying to achieve in in comparison to everything that we've talked about before and actually what client group would that actually not be really useful for you wouldn't use laughter yoga with any of the groups for the contraindication so for example any respiratory issues you have to be careful in pregnancy and it's basically forced laughter. So it's physical exertion of the body. You know that 10 minutes on the exercise bike is equivalent to um, something like 50 laughs or something. It is physical. I mean, if you watch somebody properly belly laugh, you'll watch them holding onto their stomach. They'll hold their cheeks because it's like, ah, 
you know, really laughing. And people actually say at one point, stop it, it hurts, because it really, really rocks the internal system. And, it, you know, they, they've even found it reduces constipation because oh, wow. it jogs the bowel along. You know, so somebody looks a bit uptight, maybe they are a bit uptight. You know, so it's it's a whole system approach. And what laughter yoga is doing is basically using false laughter to work on the whole body. So it's trying to kickstart your immune system. It's trying to kickstart all your neurotransmitters. It's trying to jog your bowel. It's trying to burn calories. It's it's doing all those things, mm. which is great. And, and maybe it's a choice that people have in their armory. But then also I think you've got to be careful not to make people feel like they're compelled to do silliness for silliness sake. Yeah. You know, like if you just, it's not a one size fits all. You know, I, I don't believe in humiliating people for oh, laughter. Of course. Um, you know, but people will. They'll, they'll say, right, everyone's got to pretend to be a pole dancer for five minutes. Uh, I would hate that personally. So I certainly would never do it to anyone else. But I would have an interactive game which gave possibilities for humour generation. Mm -hmm. You know, like making a comedy song together, which you're going to perform. That's got a sense of camaraderie to it you know making a piece of artwork on you know the hero what's most irritating in your life right you're going to make a group hero to solve that problem mm. you know that's got an opportunity for somebody to go do you know um if i've got to wear those things on my face one more time or you know just to talk about the thing that irritates them but with a bit of levity okay, okay. Uh, and that doesn't happen with laughter yoga Okay, I think you've given a good uh, uh, explanation and differences um, between the two. Uh, so thinking forward about how occupational therapists can, I think you've, you've given us a lot of practical ideas of, um, to do anymore. I was just wondering if there is any, any more that we can do to incorporate some of this into our practice, everyday practice. I think it's about remembering that people need to play and want to play and giving people you know, even when you talk about your interventions, you know, how, how do you play? What, what makes you laugh? Just asking people those sort of questions or when was the last time you had a really good belly laugh? Or, you know, when you're a kid, what sort of things do make you chuckle? You know, and, and I like to use all the different words as well, like guffaw and chuckle and, and actually use a rich language, which kind of makes people picture. And I think it's about giving people opportunities to analyse in their lives you know who makes you really laugh like if you were to think about somebody who really makes you laugh now you would have an image of your head as, yeah. as somebody and I said how often did you see them how could you see them more what activities are you doing together could you do something different and and the clients I mean the six-week workshop they actually organize their own laughter activities so they have to by the end of the workshop um, the, the six workshops they have to design their own humor provoking activity and they have to set it up so we've had people do all sorts I mean some of them are quite embarrassing one group decided to go to the ice rink and not not skate just sit with really nice goodies and laugh at people falling over wow. and, and that, that was their, their intervention I've had people who hired one group hired a um, close-up magician um, another group chose to go and see um, stand-up. One group wanted to um, go to a, a vasectomy clinic. It was three women and one guy. And I said, no, 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 no. That's too far. You would have to have something back. So, you know, if you're taken into a vasectomy clinic, he needs to go to a maternity ward, <laughs> you know, and hear the yells and the screams, you know. So sometimes it's, it, it's, it's also trying to work out 
what's teasing what's banter what's what's good nature what's not and also for people you know like when people have things like rejection sensitivity dysphoria helping people understand is this somebody getting at you or is this actually somebody trying to build a relationship you know and and is that person trying to offend you and and getting people to understand why people might use humor with them Mm. you know because some people are always going to use humor clumsily yeah and sometimes it's about taking the sting out of what somebody said as well I suppose about yeah about knowing what's happening and and just bringing it forward and saying actually maybe I didn't find that very funny um maybe your previous attempts were better (laughs) but actually that's something that I don't really appreciate which is you know that again breaks the ice and say actually you're human I'm human you know we can have a laugh but maybe not to this extent and it's that gift. Every I, I always say to my students, everything your client gives you is a gift. It's an opportunity to understand them or to use it. So if somebody finds something offensive, is it about taking the sting out of it or actually is it about working about assertiveness and saying, actually, I find that a little bit, I, I prefer to have that approach or I, I, actually, I prefer this. And, and I thought that was a bit disrespectful. And it gives the other person an opportunity to say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Or for you to say, actually, I don't really want that person in my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's always an opportunity to turn yeah. something or a difficult situation into a, a, a useful situation, a, a learning situation for, for, for everyone. And I've, again, I've learned a lot about humour. Um, if people wanted to like train in it or have more understanding of it or read a little bit more about it, is there anywhere they can find this information? Well, I have got a training therapy company. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Um, <laughs> Raspberry training therapy. I, I, I train in it. There's other okay. companies that train in it. Um, but I train in it from a perspective of, as an occupational therapist. Yeah, no, and no. also I've done stand-up. Oh, so. cool. Oh, amazing. Maybe, I'm going to give it a go. You didn't tell me that at the beginning. You could have told us some... <laughs> don't I mean, stand not, not if you want this to go out to public. I've got a filthy sense of humour. Oh, okay. All right. Well, maybe we, we'll leave Congress that. City. <laughs> No, uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll link the, you know, your company, your training um, company in the show notes for people to uh, access if they, if they choose yeah. to. Um, and there's other ones. And there's good yeah, books. Of course, of course. There's, there's about um, Laughology is okay. Uh, I got a book the other day that was quite good from TK Maxx. I forgot what it's called. Um, but any of the positive psychology stuff will explain. You know, Dr. Alex Corb does a really good one on using um, neuroscience to reverse the depression cycle. Okay. But what really you, good. Maybe you could uh, give me a list of it and I'll link that all yeah. in there. And then, uh, yeah, I, maybe I have to get a couple of books myself to have, have a read and try to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, thank you very much, um, Alice. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. That's been brilliant. Thank you. You're a wonderful man to speak to. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Alice, for taking the time to come on the show again to talk about humour and occupational therapy. Again, I learned a lot, and I hope you guys listening learned a lot too. Until next time, guys, stay safe.